Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. Faith Radio, you are listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and I'm clearly not Bill Arnold. But I'll do some magic tricks, because I love sight gags on radio. <laughs> My name is Mark Senius, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, where I teach media production. I'm also the chair of the communication department. And uh, joining me today, it's Guy Talk, because it's Thursday, where we get to just a bunch of guys hanging around our solo stove and just putting as much wood as we can pile into that thing, and maybe perhaps we'll have a little barbecue on the side, out in the patio. That's what we're after today, and I'm really pleased to have with me in the studio. It should be fun. We've got uh, Rick Matson from uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, uh, where he's been, he's, I guess you're most famous for, you know, uh, Stump the Chump, basically. Stump the Chump sessions so, out on college campuses. That's so correct. Got Guy Talk with the Chump today. Nice, <laughs> nice. I'm, and then we also have Tom Parrish, who's a pastor, historian, and author, and he's at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Minneapolis. He's been doing that for many, many years and also attended Evangelical Lutheran Theological Seminary. Welcome to the program. Good to be here. Excellent. And um, you'll have to help me with your last name because I forgot to write it phonetically, and that's what I tell my <laughs> students to do because I am illiterate, being a broadcasting person. Uh, we have Greg. Greg Borgon, yeah. And uh, he's the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries and also a adjunct professor here at uh, Northwestern, and he's been um, a part of the C.S. Lewis Visiting Scholar Program in residence a couple of times. So mm-hmm. welcome to the program. Good to be here. Should Good to be, be here with you. Should be fun. So that's this hour and next hour we're going to be talking food. So that's why we got the barbecue and the solo stove fired up here <laughs> in the studio. Hopefully the alarms won't go off. Uh, and we'll be talking about food and how we can in- enjoy that. And so I thought I'd start off with a little bit of a softball. Like, I mean, I love food and love eating and you know, it's a wonderful thing that what brings God glory is edible. But Scripture also says that, you know, we're not called to love the things of this world, and it also uh, kind of feels like we have a little bit of a tension there. So do you think it's wrong to, like, really enjoy food and, and have that, enjoy that fellowship and find joy in hobbies and relationships, vacations? Sometimes, you know, we enjoy life and, you know, sometimes kind of feel guilty. You know, like, shouldn't I be a little more quiet on this? So. Well, you know what's fun about that whole concept is that I struggle with the same thing. I've always loved food. And, of course, what do churches come together around? Worship and food. We love our fellowship time. And uh, I have a funeral tomorrow. Well, one of the things we do after a funeral is have some kind of a dinner. People can just interact and talk. We also know that in the coming kingdom, there's going to be a great feast. And what do you have at a great feast? You have food. So, Mark, I don't think you're off the mark at all. I think it's an important part the part, though, seriously, that we look at, it is not just the food. It is who we have the food with and the fellowship we have and interacting and inviting the Lord's presence. And I know that's what's fun for most people, at least in the churches I've served. Yeah, several years ago, um, I ended up taking a course on how to cook. Because what I wanted to do it was kind of like on my bucket list, I guess you would say, some things that I wanted to do before God called me home. But I wanted to do it to prepare meals for my family. And I didn't realize how much I would enjoy it. It's not just the preparation of the food, but I think it's what you're talking about, Tom. 
It's seeing everyone else enjoying it, the conversation around the table, the warmth that's created by that kind of conversation over food. I serve them all kinds of dishes, my three-meat chili they love and several others. But the idea is is that you're really bringing family together, extended family together for communication and for sharing and for fellowship. And that's what it's all about for us. I studied the uh, uh, Luke 14 banquet passage many times. And in background for that, I combed through the gospel of Luke, uh, Mark, and there were over 20 separate references Mm. to food in Mm. the gospel of Luke. And a lot of them are about uh, Jesus eating with uh, people that he's quote unquote not supposed to be eating with, but uh, all the table fellowship and the just enjoyment of the kingdom of God. And especially that Luke 14 passage, which is that banquet passage where people from all walks of life are invited to sit around the table of the kingdom of God and enjoy his presence. Well, yeah, there's nothing would make us happy right now as we talk about food and perhaps maybe you're stuck in traffic or stuck in the office and can't quite get home fast enough. We're going to talk about food today. No. <laughs> so uh, you are listening to uh, Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Mark Senius sitting in for Bill today. And uh, with me is Rick Matson from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Tom Parrish, who is pastor, historian, and author, and Greg Borgon, president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And... Um, Last time you were on, there were some questions that perhaps weren't quite uh, fully answered and didn't have time to explore the answer in a a more definitive, deeper way. So uh, the the first question was about rewards in heaven, and Mm -hmm. uh, so talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, the question that was raised is, are there going to be rewards in heaven? Are there uh, different levels of punishment in hell? Um, and so, I mean, there are several scriptures that underscore um, the fact that there will definitely be rewards. Every follower of Jesus Christ will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what they've done with what God's given them. Nothing to do with their eternal salvation has everything to do with what they've done with what God's given them. He's expecting, as I had said the last time, an ROI, a return on his investment. We don't want to be unfaithful servants that bury everything in the ground, what we've been given, and return back to the Lord with no increase. And so there's, he's expecting some level of increase. So already we're seeing an incremental uh, appreciation of contribution. There are other scriptures. For instance, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This, of course, is referring to the judgment seat. This is referring to uh, the idea that they're going to be ending up paying for what they've done, and the judgment is going to be a portion based on what they've done. At least that's, that's what I'm reading. And there are many more passages about that. A couple of others. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which I was just referring to, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then 2 Timothy 4.8, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Now, it's not an award like we expect here on earth, that somehow I'm going to be given a plot of land or I'm going to be given a a special position. What the reward represents that uh, is awarded to us in heaven is simply a, a manifestation of God's appreciation for what we have done with what we have been given. And we bask in that appreciation from the Master who has given us this wonderful opportunity for some unfathomable reason 
infinite God has chosen as finite creatures to facilitate his redemptive purposes in a fallen world. Go figure. If we were in the decision seat, we wouldn't have picked us possibly. But the idea is, is that he's using us as his arms and legs. So what we're receiving is the reward of his appreciation demonstrated by crowns. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's just something you embrace. We've pleased the master. Now, you're an expert on C.S. Lewis, and he often talks about this in you know, the final battle from his books, you know, that further up and further mm-hmm. in. Is it just sort of you might have a different starting place for like how much you might experience that further up where just it's new and bigger and bigger and bigger well, as it what, goes along? Well, yeah, whatever we do, there's going to be a progression in heaven. I mean, you come, uh, and where you start is where you left off. And, uh, you know, I always tell men in, in my ministry, it's not so important as where you start, but how you finish. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know what's going to be taking place exactly, but we do know there's progression. The angels long to to learn about things. That means that they don't have all knowledge. So things are going to be happening. We're going to be exposed to the righteousness of God. We're still going to have a finite, although pure, unimpeded uh, understanding of what we're seeing in front of us, but we're still dealing with infinite God. Who's going to plummet the depths of infinite God? It'll take an eternity. Tom, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And I don't think we take that very seriously when we talk, because we have a tendency to lump that with salvation. Hey, I'm getting in, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter, because it's not the salvation issue anymore. It is the uh, respect issue how much we love the Lord and did this. There's an old story. I'm sure you've heard it. I love it, though, about these two guys that go to the pearly gates. One guy is quite wealthy, done well in business. The other guy just lived an average life. And so Peter says, let me take you to your home. So he's walking along with the, the lesser guy. He says, this is your house, great big mansion. And the rich man can hardly wait. And they go down the road, and they come up to the shack. And Peter says, this is your home. And he says, what do you mean this is my home? I was wealthy. I did a lot of things in that time. He goes, I'm sorry, this is all you sent up. And when you think about it, you know, what we do now for Jesus is what we're sending up. And and I don't want to overstate that because I can't prove it exactly biblically that way. But the point is, I like these stories because they are very down to earth and tell me, how thankful am I for all Jesus has done for me? And if I'm thankful, I'm going to sacrifice I'm going to do things for others. I'm going to do things for the kingdom that I normally wouldn't do. And that's part of this whole reward system. And it is all based upon what Jesus has done for us. We now, in response, live a thankful life and use our life to be a benefit to others. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Is that one of the scriptures you read? Yes. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Mark Senius, and joining me today are Rick Matson, who is uh, with Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship, Tom Parrish, a pastor, historian, and author. We've also got Greg Borgon from uh, President and Founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And so, uh, first, we just discussed a, an issue we had not completely answered. Uh, anything else to add regarding Aurora Wards and Hever from anybody? No, I okay. think we're good on that. Good, cool. Well, the other question that came back from last time was we had received a lots of uh, calls. Uh, we'll be coming up next, and we want to talk a little bit about the parable, a new patch, old cloth, and how to wrestle with that. That'll be next on Faith Radio, Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Yeah. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. 
Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. Thursday afternoon, and of course that means Afternoons with Bill Arnold is happening, and today being Thursday, it's guy talk, so we've gathered a bunch of guys and we're dugging up here. Out on the roo- we're on the roof now, we'll just make it, we're just hanging out on the roof with our solo stove and having a good afternoon here as we uh, enjoy just uh, whatever weather happens to be. <laughs> Because it just will change in a few minutes, no matter where you are. We've got Rick Matson from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and with us, he's also known for his. Uh, where he's been on all sorts of college campuses across the country, and he has a little forum called Stump the Chump. And so, uh, we'll be seeing if we can do that maybe a little bit later on t- today. Ooh. We've also got Tom Parrish, a pastor, historian, and author, and Greg Borgon, who is president and founder of Heart of a Worship. Excuse me, Heart of a Warrior Ministries here. On uh, for how long have you been doing that? Twenty-seven years. Twenty-seven years. That's amazing. <laughs> so um, we've been kind of you know every week at Guy Talk, we just kind of sit up here and just talk about various things uh, as far as faith and life and issues we might have in the Bible and like just kind of trying to figure things out. Sitting around our little fireplace here this evening, and so one of the questions that came up um, in a prior broadcast was uh, regarding the parable where uh, you know there's new patch and old cloth and new wine, old all mm-hmm. of that. So uh, maybe a little bit of clarification on on that particular topic. Yeah, those two parables are really presenting a single message. <clears throat> when we talk about putting uh, new cloth on an old garment, well, actually, after you wash it, what's going to happen is that new patch is going to shrink and tear away at that old garment. When you put new wine into an old wineskin and it ferments, then it's going to expand and it'll break open that old wineskin. And what it's talking about, the, the significance spiritually is that you can no longer embrace what you were in the past because God has given you a new life. When you met him at the foot of the cross, you turned over your old self and he returned back to you who he intended you to be from the beginning. When he superintended your formation in your mother's womb, he knew you before you ever were. He set the number of days you'd walk this earth. And then it says in Ephesians, he's given you a unique purpose for your life. So you're not the same. It isn't a reconfigured person. It's a new heart, a new person. So consequently, if you carry into that existence, uh, that new existence, that new relationship, old patterns, old practices, thinking that you're going to garner the goodwill of your heavenly father because of what you do, we have to remind ourselves over and over again, it's not what we do that determines who we are. It's who we are in Christ that should determine what we do. So consequently, we have a new life to live, and we need to go ahead and lean into that and to live that new life and to reject and to pull, push away, push to the side those rituals or practices that we use to garner his, his you know, love and his satisfaction. 
because yeah. it's unconditional. Yeah, we're not a box of Tide, right? That's yeah. new and improved, like a new recipe for Count Chocula or something. It's, you know, it, we're at something completely, <laughs> completely new. I grew up in the church and loved Vacation Bible School and heard these stories and these parables in the Old Testament. And uh, then I realized, hey, I'm, I'm living now. This has been going on for 2,000 years. Here's the problem. In Christianity, we forget how radical the words of Jesus were how they upset the religious leaders. And I'm going to be teaching a class this summer on how to study the Bible. And the one thing I hit over and over and over is context. Go back and look at the context. Don't just read about the wineskin or the cloth. What is Jesus talking about? In Matthew 9, 14, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, and here's the, the whole thing right here. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Jesus is the bridegroom. He's brought something completely new into this uh, work of the kingdom of God. And I think here's the problem. In the early church, you had a group of people called the Judaizers. And they very much wanted to combine the Old Testament, you know, all the laws and rituals with this whole thing of grace and faith. Well, there there are certain things that certainly carry over. But, you know, Paul and the New Testament battled against that and said, no, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do these things. What you need to do is have faith in Jesus. And you look at the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews says it's always been faith from Abraham all the way up to the present. We just keep trying to put the rules out there to make it more palatable to us. But the point is, Jesus is that new that new fabric, that new wineskin, and he is the one that contains the truth, and he's the one we turn to, not the way we used to do it. Yeah, I mean, we worship a guy who got killed, right? I mean, it's... And he's so offensive, and yet he turns—he just turns everything upside down with what he did, and it completely. Yeah, and that's what's so comforting, I think, about the gospels. You know, especially if you're ministering to other people, or you know, trying to, um, you know, talk about who Jesus is to somebody who doesn't believe, is to get them to, you know, under just kind of understand that that you know the gospel is offensive, but how can we not be offensive when we're talking about who Jesus is? Yeah. yeah, I suppose zooming out, this is transition from Old Testament to New Testament, Old Covenant to New Covenant, and you have the new wine of the gospel here, and that's what we're supposed to embrace. And and, and isn't it comforting in the in in the gospels that all these all these people around Jesus are just buffoons? I mean, you know, they just never quite get it right. You know, I mean, it's not until later that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes that they really, they, they, they know who he is, but they just continue to, you know, kind of bumble around much like we do. Yeah, the ones I, I'm concerned about aren't so much those who start off from a position of ignorance because they just haven't been taught. The ones I'm concerned about are those that are intentionally ignorant and are arrogant about that ignorance. Hmm. That they don't want whatever position or ideology or philosophy they embrace be corrected in any way. They think they have the answer. So they're arrogant about the ignorance that they have. Yeah, Mandalorian. And the truth. Yeah. And the, yeah, go ahead. And, and it's the truth that really sets us free, not our perception of truth, not where my truth ends where your nose begins, but the objective truth of God's word, the living and active truth of God's word, it's, you know, division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. It's not just word, it's the inspired word of God, and we need to be corrected on a regular basis, and we, we don't want to lapse into the factional group of the 
arrogant ignorant. Many times my I will be out with somebody, uh, we're just talking at dinner or whatever else, and I interact with a lot of agnostics and atheists. It's kind of a, I love to do that and be with them and talk to them. And they will say to me, well, how do you know this, this is really true? Why do you really believe this stuff? And I say, you know, it's interesting. You ever go to a family picnic? I'll say, what? Yeah, I've been to family picnics. You go to a family picnic and you can talk about, you know, you know, green earth. You can talk about anything. You can talk about the gods of the Greeks all you want. Nobody will get upset. Bring up the name of Jesus. And suddenly you'll find a division takes place very quickly in people's heart. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody who's dead and still in the grave after 2,000 years should not create that kind of uh, response now. I can't think of any historical figure. You know, I, I go into groups and I go, Alexander the Great. Nothing happens at all. You know, (laughs) Julius Caesar, nothing happens. Cleopatra, you bring up Jesus. And I think it's because deep in our hearts, the words of Solomon come ringing through. Eternity is in our hearts. And that eternity is expressed in the reality of Jesus Christ. And once you bring up his name, it's a whole different ballgame. And we have to help people understand that. And especially in the church, I I tell my congregation over and over, look, we're Trinitarians. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm happy to talk about all of them. But when you continually talk about God without any clarification as to who that is, then we could have people come in here from all other religions and they'd be comfortable. Bring up the name of Jesus. It's a different story. Yeah, Mandalorian, this is the church of the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, what would you have to say about that, uh, Rick, just as far as, you know, when in, you know, knowing that there is a lot of that division, um, what are some ways, you know, that perhaps you can soften the heart of somebody who might just sort of completely bristle in that moment where you can, you know, you let Jesus be offensive, but how can we not be offensive? I think a lot of the soft skills come into play here. It's it's one thing to be an apologist, theologian, biblicist, but uh, am I a friend? Have I built trust with this person? Have I discerned that God has gone before me and prepared a conversation with this person? So I think a lot of what we do in outreach depends on our discerning what God is already doing in outreach, and then our job is to catch up to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot different then than me thinking I have to bring Jesus to the picnic (laughs) or wherever it might be if I think that Jesus is already here by his Holy Spirit working at the picnic and that I'm searching for opportunities to be in conversation. Now, that's a powerful model of engaging people with the gospel, I believe. Yeah, and in our day and age, um, especially in Western culture, um, you know, nobody really cares what you have to say until they observe how you live. And if there's a sense of consistency and direction and, and purpose to your life, people will automatically want to hear what you have to say, even if they disagree with you because they can't get past a life well lived. So consequently, you know, you deal with two different people. Maybe we can d- discuss this a little bit after the break. There's either skeptics or they're cynics, and you approach them two different ways. But using some of the soft skills that Rick was talking about, uh, there's a way to deal with that, and maybe we can touch on it. So, and I tell people all the time, evangelism is 90% listening. It's 10% talking. We don't do enough of that. Yeah. You're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm a guest hosting today, Mark Senius from the University of Northwestern St. Paul. I'm a professor in the communication departments. We've also got Rick Mattson with us today from InterVarsity Fellowship, along with Tom Parrish, a pastor, historian, and author, and Greg Oran, who is the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And today it's Guy Talk, so I hope you'll join. If you've got any questions or anything, you be sure to text them here to the studio, which just suddenly... Uh, 877-933-2484. So text your questions in. 
There we go. There we go. Guest host error number one. When I get to three, <laughs> they just yank me off the air. You're listening to Guy Talk on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm your guest host, Mark Senius. This is Afternoons with Bill Arnold, only I'm not Bill Arnold. Nope, I never have been, but I am Mark Senius, <laughs> Associate Professor of Communication here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And it's just a pleasure to be here filling in on Guy Talk. This has been really fun so far, chatting about just various questions and wrestling with the things of God, which is one of life's great pleasures to you know just dive in and, and so that Jesus would reveal himself deeper and richer and more beautiful than than ever and so we we kind of started diving into the way that we can talk to other people so that we be hospitable yet hold fast uh, to Jesus and scripture um, and yet be welcoming to others and so uh, with me on the program today we've got uh, Greg Borgon who is the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries we've also have Tom Parrish Longtime guest of this program, pastor, historian, and author, plus a Rick Matson has joined us from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And now you're on campus, Rick. You go out to campuses and you probably answer a lot of these types of questions. And Greg mentioned just moments ago, just like there is kind of a difference the way that you talk to different types of people, kind of where they are, whether they're a cynic or perhaps where they're a skeptic. How do you handle that? Yeah, I would say so. That's a good observation. We have to know our audience. I think our manner uh, determines a lot of where the conversation is going to go. If we have a manner that's both humble and confident, I think those are the two things I'm looking for, Mark. Mm-hmm. I want a sense of intellectual and relational humility on the one hand and confidence in the gospel on the other, and the confidence that God's Spirit is here in this room and is working. If those two things can come together, then this whole idea of answering questions, stump the chump is what we call it on college campuses, it goes a lot better when I can really embody that posture, and, and those are some of the soft skills that we've been talking about here. Yeah, and Rick mentioned earlier, we have to realize that when we get into a conversation about faith, it's, it, it's not just you and the person across from you. It's the Holy Spirit that's, that's there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yep. he's the one. It's his job to convict the world of mm-hmm. sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, you know, in, in the short 74 years that I've lived, I've come across essentially, and more recently than, than in the past, two types of individuals uh, primarily. One is a skeptic, as we mentioned, and the other is a cynic. And now a skeptic has a threshold that, they, that needs to be reached before they'll entertain the claims of the gospel, before they even consider them. So the goal is to simply answer the questions they're asking and no more. The temptation is as soon as the door is open, you regurgitate everything you know and all you leave is a stench. And no wonder they don't want to come back and have a conversation with you again. And generally the conversation will start at level one about the weather, level two, I have a friend, and level three, here's what I'm dealing with. If you simply answer the questions they're asking, 
they will come back to ask you greater questions because they haven't been violated. You treated them, as Rick was saying, with respect and gentleness and humility. Now, a cynic is different. They think they have all the answers. So all you do is allow them to describe what they think that they believe, and you simply question the answers they're giving. So a skeptic, you simply answer the questions they're asking, and a cynic, you simply question the answers they're given. I'll give you just a quick illustration. My father was both of those, but primarily a <laughs> cynic. And before his death, he lived on Sugar Island, and I went to visit him. And I had been in conversation, because I took Greg Boyd at his word and, and opened up a conversation, letters of the skeptic, to my father and said, I've been in the faith for these many years. Let's have a conversation. I'll only answer the questions that you're asking. And I went on for a while. So I finally got to visit him. So he's in his living room over looking out the picture window with the Great Lakes tankers that would go in front of his window there. And he was waxing eloquent about what he believed and talking about other worlds and other gods and everything else. And I simply said, Dad, how does that relate to what you said just a few minutes ago? How are they correlated? How do they make sense? So I wasn't belittling him. I wasn't shaming him. I wasn't doing anything like that. I was just simply questioning the answer he was given. So during the course of the conversation, all of a sudden it's dead quiet. He, like I wasn't even there. He looks out the picture window and he says to himself, well, that sounded stupid, didn't it? Wow. So he came to his own conclusion himself, wow. and I'd say, thank you, Holy yes. Spirit. Thank yes. you. Yes. One yes. of the things we yeah. ought to teach people in evangelism, and I've been blessed. I went through Kennedy's Evangelism Explosion, Four Spiritual Laws, a variety of those, the Roman Road, and I appreciate all of them. We don't talk to people going out to share the gospel. They're really going out in a, for a divine appointment. You want the person to be prepared by the Holy Spirit, at least with a willingness to listen, ask questions, and talk about it. Uh, one story I've told before that has so impacted my ministry. I'm a new pastor, first church I'm into. Nice guy comes with his two wives, uh, two wives, two children. <laughs> he only had one wife, but that's who I'm going to talk about. And and they, I said to him, does your wife come? And he says, well, no, she's a, a, a atheist. And I said, what does she do for a living? Well, she's an aeronautical engineer like I am. We build jet engines. And this was Dayton, Ohio. So I said, you know, I'd be happy to come over sometime. He said, how about Friday? <laughs> <laughs> so I get over there Friday. She's made pie. We talk for three hours. I'm getting nowhere. I mean, I'm getting nowhere. It, it, and I finally realized, Lord, I'm giving up. I don't know what to do. It's now 10 o'clock at night. I'm standing up to leave and thank her for this time. And then it's like a light bulb went off of the Holy Spirit. And I had one question. I said, tell me, how many engines have you built? She said, hundreds. I said, how many have you built without looking at the specs, the blueprints? She said, impossible. And I said, isn't that interesting? You haven't really looked at the specs of the Bible, and yet you've made up your mind. And I watched her face drain in front of me. Oh, that's excellent. And she said, <laughs> well, what do I need to do? Well, I got her reading the Gospel of John. Long story short, a couple months later, she got on her knees, repented, asked Jesus mm. into her life. A year later, her husband's on a flight to Seattle. He's 44 and dies of a massive heart attack in the airplane mm. on the way. At the funeral... She got up and said, if this had been a year ago, I'd be the most bitter woman on the face of the earth, mm. but I have met Jesus. I know this isn't the end, and I know he's with the Lord, and I'll see him again one day. Oh, wow. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And that hit me so hard because I was ready to do the four spiritual laws. I had it all laid out. I was going to—and the Lord took me on a completely different path. Yeah, so many of us think we need to have um, a monologue ready, that we need to have all the answers that we can anticipate them asking questions about. But what God is looking for is simply fat Christians. The only time you don't have to go on a diet. Faithful, available, and teachable, and he'll use you. 
<laughs> You're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Mark Senius, a guest hosting this afternoon on Guy Talk with Rick Matson from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Tom Parrish, a pastor, historian, and author, and Greg Borgon, president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And uh, I, you guys are just talking about uh, some of those things. And it is, I mean, like death is a hard thing. Um, you know, especially my mom died a few years ago. Not, I mean, it's like, I'm not really sure where she was. I mean, she had dementia, Lewy body dementia. It was brutal. It was awful. Um, watching her just vanish before your eyes for seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. And through that whole process, um, you know, coming to grips with it, it's like, I don't know if she's going to be in heaven. I, I have no idea because it's ultimately not up to me. But what I do know is that God is just, mm-hmm. he's faithful, mm-hmm. he's good, he's merciful, and it's like, and if she's in heaven, it'll be a great and glorious thing. And if she isn't, it'll be a great and glorious thing. And that is the mm-hmm. weirdest, like, uh, I'm not even sure how I feel about that. But, like, how do you bring comfort to others who, you know, might be experiencing a, a you know, a family member that just isn't there? Like, my wife and I, we're it, right? And, I mean, our kids are kind of doing their thing. But it's, but it's like you just want this rich, vibrant thing. And it's like we sometimes just feel isolated when there's, you know, other family members that yeah. aren't believers. On college campuses, I think stories really help. <clears throat> so I can tell about my own mom. Sorry, I'm a little hoarse today. Uh, that uh, died a few years ago. She had some sense of spirituality, but it was never really explicitly in the Scripture and explicitly in Christ that I know of. And I think uh, talking to college students and graduate students as I do, and some some of your own experience, to warm up the conversation even then. Say, we don't always know what's going on, but we do believe in the character of God, as you just mentioned, and these matters are in his hand. And then looking back on the conversations that I had with my mom down the stretch, it still gets back to this idea of what is the Holy Spirit doing in mom's life? Mm. And the area that opened up for her was the idea of prayer. So she lived on the third floor of this retirement center in the elevator. She said, that, Rick, she called me Ricky. Don't mm. you. <laughs> oh, oh I okay. I'm just a guest host. <laughs> Dr. Rick, do you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Manly Thanks, Rick. Marky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she, uh, Ricky, the elevator has become my church. When I'm mm. in the elevator, I pray. Well, that's a little opening that the Holy Spirit created in my relationship with mom, that she was able to talk about that and admit that. And so we were able to talk a little bit more about, well, what does prayer look like uh, as we come before the Lord? And I think those sorts of things can warm up a conversation and not just make this, like if I'm talking with a college student or whoever we might be talking with, it's not just a doctrinal, open and shut, kind of cold case. Uh, there's some relational warmth to this, which I think is so important. Yeah, I mean, it, it, often it feels like, you know, I, I want you to believe, I want you to believe right now. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka, right? And the Oompa Loompas are just right around the corner. <laughs> I don't remember away. that for some reason. <laughs> well, I'm a child of the 70s. Interestingly, and, but, uh, Don Richardson was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. He wrote Peace Child, oh, yeah. and uh, he was a missionary in New Guinea. And he went there and spent several years and couldn't get anywhere with the, the people. And they these were pretty rough people that he was up against. And I said, how did you hang in there? And what finally made the difference? He said, what made the difference is when I realized, again, that Solomon's words, that eternity is already in their hearts. All I have to do is find the avenue that will speak to their hearts. And 
that's what the book Peace Child is about, how they had a war between two tribes, and then they exchanged a child. And then he explained that was Jesus. And the whole tribe became Christians after that. I think the problem for most of us is that we have to listen to what other people are saying about their own ideas and thinking and then find that as an avenue to begin to talk to them about their needs. When I talk with young people today, and I'm sure, Rick, you do this on the college campuses, most college kids don't know what the word sin means. And I rarely use the word sin, but what I will say to them is, hey, how are you doing with your shame and guilt? Boy, do they know those <laughs> words, and they can respond to that. And I think it's the same way with somebody that's 70 years old, 80 years old, or 90. You listen to what they're telling you, and you respond to that. Yeah, and the, the, the passage in, that was referred to Ecclesiastes 3, 10, and 11 says, God has placed eternity in each person's heart so that he doesn't know what God has done from the beginning to the end. General revelation that compels every human being, every generation, every era, every ethnicity to ask a variation of three questions. Why am I here? Am I making any progress? And will what I do have any lasting impact? Does my life matter? That's on the heart of every human being. So when you respond to what you already know, the Holy Spirit has placed in them through general revelation, these questions, and you're, you have some way of communicating and, and addressing these three seminal questions, you've already created a bridge of communication to where they're actually living. Because in today's day and age, especially in Western culture, every institution, every organization, every uh, business or whatever it might be, um, people are skeptical today. They've been, they feel that they've been lied to or that the promises have not been delivered. And so they're looking for answers, even though they may say they don't believe in absolute truth. They, they desire that. They want some clarity for their life. Yeah, I, trusting the slow work of God. Is I think hard. sometimes we need to get involved. Uh, it's one thing to see the Holy Spirit working in someone's life and discern that and so forth. But oftentimes we need to take a little risk to get involved in what God is already doing. And Tom, I wanted to get back to the question you asked at the picnic. Was it the picnic? The picnic. I might be getting your illustrations mixed up here. But you had said, have you read the manual of life? The, the, and that's a brave question. That is, uh, it's not confrontational. It's not shutting someone down. But I really appreciated that uh, brave question. And that opened up the whole possibility of this person reading the Bible then and coming to faith. And I was just wondering if you could say something more about that brave question. Like, you could have let it go. Right. But you didn't that day. No. The opportunity you have is is there. And when I go to talk to people, I'm always asking the Holy Spirit, we'll open the door. And one of the things I've discovered is my, I was sitting with an atheist at Perkins Restaurant. Uh, his wife said, go talk to the pastor because they were in trouble. And so we're talking. And he said, you know, I, I just don't believe this stuff. You know, I, I've studied all the religions of the world, and I just don't believe, you know, what you're telling me. I said, great. So you've obviously really looked at the Bible, and you've done a great job, and I'll finish that when I get back. That's it. You're listening to <laughs> Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Mark Senius, your guest host, along with uh, Rick Matson, Tom Parrish, and Greg Borgon. And we'll have a question, too. Got a guy to talk question coming in. We'll be uh, circling around the Sermon on the Mount. That's up next here on Faith Radio. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. 
You're hanging with the cool cats. <laughs> Afternoon, Bill Arnold. I'm your guest host, Mark Senius, from the University of Northwestern St. Paul, where I'm an associate professor of media communication. Also joining me on today's little extravaganza, our soiree, our little solo stove, uh, you know, Whatever, hang, I guess that's what the kids say. Um, we've got Rick Matson from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Tom Parrish, from, uh, who's a pastor, historian, and author, and also Greg Borgon, the president and founder of Heart of a Warrior Ministries. And uh, before, just before the break, we were kind of, you were, we had a really manly picnic story, and <laughs> just trying to tie that in there a little bit, kind of got it all teed up here on the back of our truck. And so if you'd mind sure. finishing up that picnic picnic. So I'm out for a lunch with a gentleman. His wife came to the church. He didn't. He claimed to be an atheist. We go to lunch together, and he's telling me how he studied all the religions of the world and that Jesus is no different than anybody else. I said, great. So obviously with all that study, then you have a pretty good handle on what the Bible says as well as what you know, Shintoism is and Buddha. I said, by the way, what are the seven major claims of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and why are those critical to the whole Bible? And he just sat there and looked at me, and he goes, what do you you mean? I said, well, that is, you get those seven claims of Jesus, which nobody else has ever said. That's everything right there. And he lowered his head, and he goes, yeah, I don't think I know those. I said, would you like to? And I have a document I call it the 21-day the challenge, which is simply the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, with one question and one uh, challenge each day. He took that home, and I said, I'm not going to call you. You can call me. He took that home, and by chapter 12, he was calling me and saying, I've been a fool. I need Jesus. What do I need to do? Wow. And I was able to help mm. him come to faith. Mm. You know, that's the power not only of a great question, but it's the power of the written word, too, the word of God. You bring people. That's the main tool that we have in evangelism. Yes, the Holy Spirit goes ahead of us, and we verbalize, and we provide care, and so forth. And then we need to bring people into direct contact with the Word of God, and that's what's so powerful. I wanted to share a verse here. Uh, Paul talks in uh, Colossians 4, verse 3. He says, And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. I find it interesting here that he's not really asking for prayer for comfort in prison, and maybe he did that another time. But what made it into the scripture here is that he wants uh, an open door for the gospel. And I think our job as Christians should be walking around, discerning, looking for open doors, and then when we see them, to walk through those open doors. But if it's not open, don't kick it in. (laughs) Right. Now that hope that's just in you, you want it, it's like you know, you want it to just come out. And there's these these hearts of stone that you just want to be molten, right? You just want them to melt, mm. and so that they would be able to see and experience how beautiful Jesus is. You know, not in full, but yeah. just you know, uh, sometimes enough. that 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 fresh question, the way you ask it, Tom, and with the attitude going in beforehand that God will open the door. Uh, what you're expecting is that to happen. I mean, that's what prayer is all about. And what we need to realize is that every human being is created in the image of God. But the fact of the matter is, because of the decisions we've made, that ember of that image is buried underneath the ashes of a, of a lifetime of bad decisions. And so when we ask a question like that, when we are open and we really are paying attention to their answers, it's like a fresh breath of the Spirit of God blowing over those ashes, and all of a sudden that ember is welling up again into a flame where they call you after the conversation and say, I've been a fool. I need Christ. Yeah. 
It's beautiful. You're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm your guest host, Mark Senius, along with Rick, Tom, and Greg. We do have a question, Guy Talk question alert, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the question. Jesus uses lots of strong language to convey the gravity of sin when he says to cut off a hand or, you know, pluck out the eyeball, right? Um, it, 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 I wonder, this seems like hyperbole, but do you have any advice on how to read things like this and discern what is the literal command and what maybe is hyperbole or, you know, or metaphor? All right. I remember what Dr. Stein said at Bethel Seminary ah, when I Bob, took this class from him. Bob Stein, yeah. He is one of the world's greats, and I got to study under him. Wow, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> He said, well, we have, it's probably metaphor because we have very little record from the ancient world of the disciples of Jesus actually performing these acts of self-mutilation. So there's uh, a number of criteria that we can kind of filter the scripture through, and that's one of them. And there's probably several others, but I'll just uh, kick that off as a start. Did they actually pluck their eyes out and cut off their hands? No, they knew it was a metaphor. Therefore, we should know that it's a metaphor. Yeah, I mean— if we really believe that that's what we're called to do, then it violates everything else we know about Scripture. It's oftentimes hyperbole is used, an exaggerated mm-hmm. way of saying something to focus your attention because we're all distracted. But when somebody says something like that, you say, what? What did he just say? And so it's the hyperbole that grabs the attention, and it illustrates and underscores the importance of what's to follow. Yeah. And what is the principle underneath it? Again, you have to rely on the fact that every human being is born with a sense of the eternal. And with the general revelation and the fact that they're, they all have this, the Spirit of God or they're born in the image of God, they're going to be able to, through the power of the Spirit, be able to understand what's exaggeration, I think, at that moment and what's underneath that exaggeration. And I learned a long time ago that when you have a hyperbole like that, you have a statement that's that heavy, you know, pluck out your eye, you know, cut off your arm. Yeah, Jesus isn't asking us to do that, but he's telling us the seriousness Mm -hmm. and the depth of what he's talking about. And he gives us an illustration like that that makes us stop and think, Mm -hmm. why would I do that? Because of the seriousness of what you're contemplating or what you're involved in. And we need to spend more time talking about that in church and in Sunday school and in teaching so that people can make sound decisions day to day when they say, you know, I find my next door neighbor really attractive. I've only been married 20 years, but she doesn't care anymore. We've got to think all the way to the end. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is pointing out the end result. Hey, it's worth cutting off your arm for to stay right with your wife. Well, it also produces a cavalcade of follow-up questions because they're looking for clarification. What, what What did you mean by that? Right. And we have another question that has uh, just come in for us here at Faith Radio. I'm Mark Senius filling in for Bill Arnold today on Afternoons with Bill Arnold. If you've got a question in the smattering of seconds that are left here in this program, 877-933-2484. So here's the quick question. Um, how can we be assured of salvation? I mean, Jesus rescues us, and uh, before that, um, we had to give offerings for forgiveness of sins. And, and now through Christ, we have that assurance, but... Uh, how do can, how do we wrestle with like well but I keep doing certain sins and can I lose yeah. my salvation? All right, what what happens at prior to conversion that we're in bondage to the power of sin over us? We have very little capacity to manage it, to constrain it, or to restrain it. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that bondage or that power is broken. 
but we carry into our relationship with Christ a patterned life of decisions, habits, uh, ways in which we think that follow us into our relationship, and the Bible refers that first to that as the flesh. So the fact is, is that that's why we need the Spirit of God to help us ferret out and to remove incrementally those sins that plague us or those habits that we built up over a lifetime and replace it with truth because the truth sets us free. So what we're dealing with is the beautiful act of what the Bible calls sanctification, uh, which is uh, relying on the Spirit of God, replacing that lie with truth, and then uh, all of a sudden we find out we're thinking differently, those habits eventually disappear, but that's what we struggle with. It's not a reflection on whether or not we have eternal salvation. We have that. It says in Scripture that's been guaranteed to us. We've been sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, and only God can break that seal, and he wouldn't break it, or if he did, he'd be a liar. I think sometimes we don't always see that progress that we have in our lives because we get frustrated uh, by committing the same things over and over again. But five or ten years later, we need a good rearview mirror and look back (laughs) and say, look, I have made progress. Praise the Lord. Yeah, look what the Lord has done. He's done good things and see that progress there. You are listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Mark Senius. It's been an absolute uh, joy having uh, Rick and Tom and Greg being on this uh, program today. Thanks, you guys. Good job, Mark. It's been fun. It's a blast. Well, now we got to, you know, fire down the solo stove, put it out. <laughs> got to go feed you your porterhouse steak that yes. might be a little overcooked there on the grill. But uh, you are listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and uh, this has been Guy Talk on this Thursday. Um, and want to thank you very much for, for being here. Coming up next, we've got a pretty cool conversation with Jason Meyer and Ming Jin Tong talking about food and uh, how important that can be in your church ministry. This is Faith Radio, and you're listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.